Welcome back to Blockcast. I'm your host, Reggie, aka Yorchi Financial Coconut. Hello, hello, and I'm Mark, uh, founder and CEO of Blockhead. And uh, this is Timothy Mazier, managing editor at Blockhead. And this week, we have a special guest on the show. <laughs> Yeah, Marcus Steelen. Yeah, I'm the head of research at uh, Metricsport, the digital asset management uh, platform. And, uh, you know, I have uh, written a book recently and happy to talk about it. No, and we are in the same space. Oh, so, yeah, yeah it's stuff. great, great. But yeah, uh, Marcus, you want to tell us a little bit more about yourself, you know, other than where you work, you know, just give us a little more juice for, for audience to get to know you a bit better. I'm sure people know you, but for everyone else that don't. Yeah, I think actually a lot of people know me because I publish almost daily on, on LinkedIn. And, you know, the other day I got like 40,000 views on a post and, the, you know, before like 30,000 and 20,000. So a lot of people, you know, seem to read everything. And it just happened that, you know, I have been in TradFi for, you know, for a long time, let's say, you know, 15 years. <laughs> it's a long time. <laughs> Uh, you know, for for some people, and but I've mostly been on the hedge fund side, so managing money. I used to run my own hedge fund. So uh, you on the buy side in Hong Kong, yeah, buy okay. side. Uh, I used to work for Millennium, the mm. you know the large hedge fund and everything. And uh, after my hedge fund, I moved basically to uh, you know more into crypto. You know, crypto has been around you know for a while, always like next to me. But uh, you know because Hong Kong was such a dominant, I guess, crypto market uh, for you know the last decade. But after you know when I closed my hedge fund, I moved to a firm where I was the CIO, uh, and the 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 firm was you know very exposed in crypto mining, crypto VC, and digital asset management. And I was the CIO there, and then I moved to Matrixport uh, last year. Nice, nice. Yeah. Why do you shift to crypto? <laughs> well, I mean, is TradFi dying? No, I yeah, I mean, actually, it's a good point because I wanted something a little bit more ex- exciting. And, um, you know, I remember like it was January 2013, like the guy next to me uh, at work, he, you know, he bought some Bitcoin among Gox. You know, it took like a week to get sort of like the convo it was on credit card. Uh, you know, the credit card company called him. It was just kind of like, a, you know, like a strange process. And when I started then the hedge fund 2015, you know, one of my analysts, he was trying to set up some arbitrage system you know, with crypto. And I thought, okay, we can get it going. And I mean, because there was always an interest to do something more in fintech, but what can it be? And I think at one point, crypto just became, you know, really big. That made sense. And it was part of another of the institutional portfolio that I was managing. And so 10% of the assets were in crypto and they set up, you know, account for me at Coinbase and everything. But I wanted to do this like full time because it was like so much, so much stuff going on. And it seems like, you know, a lot more exciting than looking at the monthly inflation data <laughs> and central bank meetings and, you know, and yeah, so simple as that yeah, yeah hey tim is the same as you you're sick and tired of trend five you, you were covering it that's true you know that's it's true. the same yeah, circle yeah. same bunch of people you yeah, know yeah. drinking with the same crew you know asking for information yeah yeah sick and tired of it so our first story of the day is none other than a short interview with the author of crypto titans uh, marcus Thielen, <laughs> who's sitting here with us in in the right. studio crypto titans uh was just published last month in May. It provides an overview of the cryptocurrency industry and its evolution, takes you on a journey through its early days till the present. Marcus, uh, what inspired you to write this book and what do you hope readers will take away from it? Yeah, so I think the key thing, no matter which event I go to, like a private event, uh, you know, be it like some children's birthday party or some school event or, you know, Why are you meeting. talking about work at a children's birthday party? No, 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 but I'm just, <laughs> no, because, no, because wherever you go, people are interested in crypto right as mm. soon as i you know people ask you know what do you do professionally and you say well i'm in crypto 
no matter where the people are from, and again, it can be the school teacher, <laughs> it, it, you know, it can be, I don't know, some lawyer, it can be like some random person. They're always interested to talk about crypto and to learn more. So now so, it's just buy the book. <laughs> no, but yeah, you know, yes, it's, you know, that, that's really the short answer, right? Because if you, if you read the book over a weekend, mm -hmm. right, lock yourself up, read the book over a weekend, I think it just all suddenly starts to make sense to you, right? You don't need to pick up a book, you know, what is blockchain? How does the, the, the Terra hashes work and, and everything? I think this book really tells you how the industry started, who were the main players, uh, how the four crypto bull markets evolved, you know, how regulation has impacted it. And I think that's, you know, answers like a lot of questions already for a lot of people. And that's kind of like how I kind of like started to put stuff together because a lot of those questions were always like very similar. You know, everybody wants to talk about Binance or FTX and, you know, where did the money, you know, what did they do and everything. And, you know, I just really tried to look at the evidence and write a heavily researched, but a relatively neutral book. So it's not about my opinion. It's really trying to give you all the facts. And I think this is why I got like a lot of endorsements from some of those high people that are also in the book that, well, yeah, I didn't really like too much what you wrote about me, but yeah, it's sort of all true, right? That's where you get a lot, <laughs> right? So um, no, but because, because I think, you know, again, you wanted to write like a factual book for people like to understand it. And, and I think there are like 631 references in the book. So it's really... Uh, not about, you know, somebody, you know, going off course and just chit-chatting. Mm. It's really, this is what happened. This is how it has evolved. This is when stable coins suddenly became big. And this is the event that put Binance in business, basically, right? And and it answers those questions. And I think a lot of people didn't really know this. And, um, you know, I mean, long story short, uh, you know, Yevgeny from Vintermood, you know, he started in crypto in 2017. You know, he read the book, you know, endorsed it before it was published and everything. Uh, and he's like, I had no idea what happened before. And it was good to just put it all together, yeah. right? And I think that's what the book really answers. I, I think that, that actually, like your last point about, because for a lot of people, especially people who are new to this space, right? This, this I would say, perception out there that, you know, like uh, blockchain, crypto, et cetera, it's, it's, it's this very newfangled thing. But in reality, it's got like, you know, a full 10 plus years of history. That's where I think there's a lot of value there. So the question I have, or rather like, you know, what was interesting to me when you mentioned earlier on about how, Reed, I think before the podcast started, we talked about, it's a quote from Reed Dalio about how, you know, you can't fight nature, right? Like, do you see like, you know, in terms of the historical trends, you know, with crypto, right? So it's starting from the Mount Gox days. And then you have, I think you mentioned in your books, the three-year cycle before someone else comes to play and eventually the regulators come. Is this like a, does history repeat itself? Like, have, is this a pattern that, you know, like we can see in other innovative industries as well, do you think? Yeah, I think one of the main conclusions, uh, no, no matter who you are, no matter what your view about crypto is, is you're going to realize this is not going to go away, right? So if you are Gary Gensler and reading it and, you know, a bit more harshful against crypto, I think you really what you take away is that this is getting bigger and bigger and it's just like water, it will just go to the least resistance area. And I think when we look at uh, all these four bull markets, you know, there was one in 2011, 13, 17 and 21, they were all different. They had all different players and they moved a little bit in different jurisdictions. And, and I think you just realize that this industry actually has become already like extremely big. So estimates are there are 420 million people that have cryptocurrency holdings. Not everybody needs to be a full-time crypto trader, but people have those holdings and this is, you know, all aggregated data. But but again, I think it goes back to the, to the point that I realized whenever I go to an event, be it personal, private or whatever, when 
people realize that I'm, you know, that I'm involved in crypto professionally, everybody suddenly wants to talk about it. And, and, you know, some people, a shipping expert from Norway want to talk suddenly about Cordano and what you think about Solana and, <laughs> and others, of course, you know, the, the housewives want to talk about Bitcoin and so on. So it's, you know, like everybody has an interest, right? Housewives so, yeah. have started, right? They, they have started, oh. right? They're all at Bitcoin now. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's that's why you say housewives want to talk about Bitcoin. That's fascinating. I mean, uh, I think that, you know, I, I, we would have a similar experience as well and just different levels of, sophist of sophistication yeah. and different yeah. entry points, you know, like, uh, you know, some people are turned on by the, I guess, the technological part of it. Turned on. Right? Right. You say turned on. I mean, yeah. turned on is, I do have a good thing when I see my, my stuff in green, like, yeah, so yeah, I guess turned on. That's a lot of turn. Yes, right? yes. But yeah, that kind of like, it feels familiar as well. I think that that's always, always a sign that, I don't know, man, the, the cars are going to start collapsing soon or it's, you know, the, the fact that mass adoption is on the horizon. So, so what, is your, what is your educated guess for the next few evolution of this space? Like what's going to happen in your view? Because we study history to help us hypothesize the future, right, essentially. Yeah, I mean, for example, like the first bull market was driven by Bitcoin as like a new payment system, you know, and it then just evolved, of course, until the, let's say the fourth bull market that we saw in 20 and 21 was more about building an alternative financial system. You Not know? because people were bought at home? Uh, I think that's that's one factor. And I mentioned about this in the book as well, right? And give you examples because also, I mean, we can talk about more details in it, but, you know, Dogecoin actually peaked out with the Saturday Night Live performance <laughs> of uh, Elon Musk. Oh, yes. But at $88 billion, so it's it's like a meaningful number, right? Mm -hmm. But it's, it's also interesting because, again, I try to look at all these influencing factors, what was yeah. really driving it and, you know, the, the price impact that some of these people had, right? And some of these tweets and comments and how other people actually took advantage of it, right? And really changed their, their trading strategy. You know, Al Alameda comes to mind, which, you know, potentially started more as an arbitrage firm and then suddenly like, oh, let's just, you know, trade meme coins and go all in and, and do some other things, of course, right? But I think, you know, the outlook to answer your question, you know, where, where we're going with this is technology itself. And no matter what technology it is, it has been so far all about cutting out the middleman. You know, all these, you know, property guru sites who look at it's you know taking out the real estate agent and making this a little bit more uh, smoother experience and i think this is also what what is maybe in play for crypto really taking out the middleman of you know the large middle and back office of financial operations or or other entities and i think that's where we're going it just takes like a little bit longer and i would argue it probably also uh, needs to have a little bit uh, lower cost to really make it a frictionless uh, experience, right? I mean, you know, we're sitting here recording this podcast. I mean, 10 years ago, you know, you try to like stream like a movie or anything. It, it cost like a fortune and everything, right? And what was the, the difference? You know, Netflix wasn't really that big yet, right? It just became big. Mm. But the difference was really that suddenly the streaming became like almost free, right? This is like minuscule cost, right? I mean, now you're seeing people, you know, on the MRT watching some YouTube video and you think like, how much might this cost, right? But it's actually free, right? I mean, the bill doesn't really go up for those things. And I think that's for, for crypto needs as well, that the costs need to come a lot lower for Ethereum, for example, or, you know, other projects. And then it becomes uh, frictionless to do all these transactions. And I think that may be the big game changer. And there will be probably a new upgrade on Ethereum end of this year and that maybe is a step in that direction. Okay, fair, interesting. Anyway, I'm just saying uh, Property Guru is failing at that job. Really? 
they're failing at a job. I, they have I given up their pursuit because the last month of transaction, they're failing, right? Because if you think about property guru as an aggregator, right, the goal is to help make sure you trans mm-hmm. you essentially you transact on the platform, right? And then people just post you transact, but it has become an advertising platform. Right. Like the, no, no one's actually transacting. Yeah, right? no, one is, no one is transacting. So I don't know what's what's going on. Is it because these are big ticket transactions so it's very hard or whatever? But, but they're failing at it. Of, of, of fa- a lot of friction in their process. Yeah, a lot yeah. of friction. So, yeah. so they're failing we're, we're at it. We're just talking about friction actually, yeah. but uh, I think this was in regards to the ledger issue. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Because I mean, at least at a very retail level, uh, when you look at it, I think that unless we find an, an easier way to kind of like, you know, store our... <laughs> you know our bag right it's gonna be quite difficult is it still front. a big concern storing the bag it's not it's just that like you know for example you, depending on who you talk to we go all the way down to the housewives right they're not gonna get a cold wallet you know this is not gonna happen <laughs> no, not yet not right? yet maybe not yeah. yet <laughs> what, what does Marcus what, what do Marcus think yeah. or maybe they're the first ones who get the cold wallet right? or maybe, maybe, maybe I'm just <laughs> because they have more time to you know to, to look into it right <laughs> you know I think there was an assumption that TradFi has to kind of adjust and become more like crypto mm. or like, like DeFi over time but it seems a little bit the other way around and we having of course a lot of big institutional player and tra- players in TradFi that are you know building behind the scenes a lot of the crypto offering and the difference really is that in TradFi uh, everything has been broken down into different silos versus in crypto everything seems to be one company can do everything we have of course you know FTX was you know was was your exchange you know your matching engine it was your custody, li- all in one. custody yeah. liquidity yeah. provider and everything. And in TradFi, it's all like separated. Yep. And yep. I think this is uh, because of regulation, this is also coming for the crypto market. And then basically you don't have, you know, all your assets on the exchange. You know, there was a, another comment from Binance earlier this week that they're working around this, that maybe uh, the, the traders don't have to have all their assets on Binance. They can have it like in a separate account. It feels uh, like Binance is taking a step back or so, you know, a little bit like they, it feels like they've got a giant kind of like, because like people are going for them. Yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. a slightly different topic, but, but I think... I'm sorry, segue again, but yeah, if we can no, see no, yeah. but because it's all really related, yeah. right? And there's no coincidence. For example, I think last year, July, Binance started to have an aggressive zero fee BTC trading fee strategy and trying to really gain market share. And this is when market share went from 50 to 70%, really. And of course, it put a lot of strain on other exchanges. But magically, just a few days before sort of like a lawsuit or complaint was launched against them in the US, they stopped this. And I think we have seen more and more over the last few weeks and months that they have taken a step back and they're letting other people a little bit, uh, you know, shine in the spotlight. And I think Binance is quite happy that their market share is going down, uh, that they're not so much in the light right In the light, right? Yeah. And yeah. Th- there was just news yesterday that they're, they're letting go um, quite a sizable number of, of employees. Yeah. Yeah, 20%. Yeah. yeah. No, I, th- I think it's strategic on their part because like, you know, I think just building for what uh, Marcus was saying, you know, like how moving from essentially like a one company kind of takes care of everything into something that's more in line with mm-hmm. traditional finance, which I guess then the, then the other part here is about regulation. La. Like, you know, I think one, one of the points you made in your book was about how the idea that regulation could, would lead to like new crypto titans, right? Maybe you could elaborate a bit more on like that, that, that. I think that part's quite interesting. Yeah, I think in crypto, a lot of people kind of look at this, you know, the Bitcoin mining cycle, which happens every four years as this mysterious, you know, signal that there's going to be a bull market. <laughs> mysterious signal. No, but it's just, a mystic. <laughs> yeah, no, it's just, you know, pe- people kind of really explain, yes, and miners need to have more money and therefore Bitcoin prices need to go up to compensate 
you know, but kind of like who drives it. And I think the the one thing, for example, uh, one of the things I discovered in, in the you know by writing this book and then looking at the data and looking really when were those big turning points, right? Because you can do this, uh, you know, with price action if if suddenly the price ramps up. But what really happens, right? It was not suddenly there was you know oh the mining cycle is happening. There was something else was happening. And we had this, for example, in, in early 2013, when new, I guess, regulation was passed in the US that made it a lot more costly for crypto firms to operate. The on-ramp firms had suddenly, you know, get more licenses. And while the license might have cost only like 50 to 100K, which was, of course, back then a lot of money. Now it's not a lot of money, but it took, uh, you know, a lot of strain in terms of, uh, you know, in-house lawyers, it took them like a year or two to get it. And that was kind of like a turning point when actually the industry moved a little bit away from the US and move towards Asia because at the same time, also in 2013, in May 2013 to be specific, CCTV, the China state TV channel, and a lot of people just don't know this or don't remember this, was actually showing a 30-minute documentary and really telling the you know the Chinese viewers that Bitcoin is a new form of money, right? And that was kind of like an interesting uh, turning point. And then later in that year, we have also seen some some other supportive evidence. You know, Baidu was suddenly accepting Bitcoin for some online payment services, and then Bitcoin prices just within like you know a month or two went up uh, eight times. And you know, a lot of people kind of don't know this, but I think there were a lot of these events, uh, you know, where the regulation changed actually the structure of the industry. And then we had something similar happening. Of course, then China became a little bit more restrictive than the following year. But at the same time, Hong Kong in 2014, were like, well, you know, a Bitcoin is a commodity and therefore it doesn't need to be regulated. And then kind of, you know, the key law firm says like, well, this is a golden opportunity for, for everybody in Hong Kong. And again, you're just putting it, these events together and it just suddenly makes sense how actually the crypto industry works. Nice, nice. Did yeah. you knew that? I mean, I, def I definitely didn't know about this <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, CCTV. TV. I mean, definitely like these events, when you kind of like put them all together, it kind of makes sense. Well, there, there, there was another CCTV broadcast last week, right? I, I, <laughs> another pivotal moment uh, for Bitcoin. You, you're aware of that, Marcus? Yeah, the, of course. It's a little bit far-fetched, right? Okay. Because again, it was not necessarily the big bull market story of 2013. There were other factors in place. And again, it's good to kind of remind ourselves what were these events, because then you can easily put them together, right? If you suddenly hear CZ tweeting about, uh, well, CCTV had like a bullish story about the Hong Kong opening of crypto and everything. And then, well, you could have said that and said like, oh, let me buy some Bitcoin right away. Or you look at the book and say like, let me read these four pages that talk a little bit about it. And you realize, well, it wasn't really the big story, right? It's almost like a reference guide too. And, you know, would have like saved you a lot of money because we had, you know, a thousand points lower now since last week. But again, it was like other factors, you know, Baidu accepting Bitcoin. Mm. But nevertheless, it is a little bit kind of these, these bread crumbles that us try to kind of like identify in the book. And I think uh, we're seeing more and more uh, events and uh, evidence and we're hearing more and more news out of Hong Kong, you know, slash China. And, you know, one of my, also one of the things I discovered, you know, some people, of course, we all know, you know, Justin, Justin Sun. And his, and, uh, his Royal Highness. His, uh, yeah, His <laughs> Royal Highness, not anymore, right? <laughs> and, and, and everything. But they also, you know, also put down, you know, some interesting stories like about him and everything and also his timing. And I think that's why he is actually a person that really needs to be watched right and of course he's a very uh, high person and it's like his personality and everything or what he projects but i think in the book it also you know uncovers his his timing for a lot of those events and the timing is is really uh, quite important right i mean if we just go back like recently you know there was news in early september 
that he bought the Huawei stake. Mm. Um, mm. You know, he was a mysterious buyer, paid like apparently one billion and everything. And, you know, headquartered in, in Hong Kong to some extent, mm. right? And uh, maybe not legally, but, you know, it's kind of cultural a little bit, the headquarters there. And then when you think about it, what happened kind of like three weeks later, right? Actually less than three weeks. Suddenly Bloomberg was running a story that Hong Kong will be opening up to crypto, right? And he was like, oh, this guy just like two weeks ago or something. You know, yeah. yeah, this two weeks ago he bought it. I mean, did he know this, right? And they were like, I'm a, quite sure. Of, I mean, yeah. 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 And they were like, again, right? This is why, and I don't want to give you know, give up too much of the book, right? But, you know, <laughs> but, buy but, the book, right? Yeah. Amazon, no, but, right? No, no, yeah. because, because it's also interesting. He did an, an ICO in 2017. And one day before his ICO closed, China banned ICOs. You know? That timing is actually pretty impeccable. And like they're like, beyond- other, yeah. And there are like a few other cases like this, right? And I'm just saying, you know, to, to a lot of people, again, you know, a lot of people, wherever you go in different events, functions, crypto seems like random. They want to talk about this and then jump to this. There's actually a method to the madness, right? There's, you know, I mean, I think this is what I really took away, right? There's like clues and signs. Some people have been in the industry for a while. You know, they're steering it. They're informed. They're working closely with the regulator or they have the news beforehand. Because you don't buy an exchange and then suddenly like two weeks later, it's just Hong Kong opening up and it's really like, you know, your footprint in the market and suddenly you were like really big, right? So I mean, he's, he's been very wanna, savvy, right? So is this a point where we start the conspiracy theories? No. About Justin Sun? <laughs> no, but this, actually yeah. this is a point. It's not yeah. a conspiracy, no, right? As in, no, as in the conspiracy is not what has happened, right? But like the theories as to how he comes to know about this information. And yeah, I mean, he's part, been yeah. a very savvy uh, player yeah. within the yeah, space. So I mean, probably right? like at least the regulators are probably not, not much of a... This is where you can go downstairs and you're in your church and you can talk about it with the red blanket or something right? no, but, but yeah. one of my questions I wanted to ask you was being a crypto historian and, and the way you had put together like a whole history of the space I mean it's super interesting because this is an industry that has been built on lore and narratives and pockets of information that are kept within closed circles I, I guess and, and piecing it together, basically, it's a crypto uh, industry's version of um, what's that website? Knowyourmeme.com, right? We get the history of of something that's only existed, uh, you know, in, in terms of conversations and, and online forums and things like that. So, so I mean, what interesting stories can you tell us from from the early days that that, that might be forgotten already? Or, or just you know, give what, one. Don't yeah. don't don't give away the book. Yeah. Right? So just give one. <laughs> I mean, you know, to me, like, for example, um, 2013 is, of course, like a key year, right? This was like, you know, we saw like a, a 5,400 percentage increase in the price of Bitcoin, which is, of course, you know, the strongest bull market by far. And, um, you know, it's kind of important f- for me because I kind of got to know this back then, again, in January 2013. And then you just kind of like followed. But then it's kind of seemed like all bizarre why people were buying it. You know, there was also in the European debt crisis. So it was really also driven by Cyprus when the price went from something like $13 to like $250. And then it came down when there was kind of like some some agreement. But also in Q1 2013, suddenly you had uh, especially people in China coming up with some super fast Bitcoin mining machines. And again, I discovered like some 
some interesting stuff, uh, you know, about my boss, you know, we just invested like a thousand Bitcoins and a year later he made like 500 X's return, you know, like those kind of like, you know, unimaginably numbers. And, but it's also really interesting, you know, the people who kind of developed those machines and how efficient they were, right? Because suddenly they just controlled the market, right? Because you got like some really smart, I got like tech savvy guys, you know, sitting in New Jersey in the US and, <laughs> and, you know, connecting like three PCs and mining like a few Bitcoin here and there. And, you know, these, these, you know, people in China, it's like, oh, if this works on, with three PCs, why don't we just build something with like 100,000 PCs and then build like, you know, factories and everything. And then these machines became so powerful and people who produce those machines, they basically were selling them at a one month recoup your investment rate, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And the Bitcoin price was suddenly like ramping up and people were making their money back within like three days. You know, I mean, imagine you're buying this like mining machine for like, I don't know, a thousand dollars and you start on Sunday and by Wednesday you got the thousand dollars back. And then the rest is just kind of like free upside. And this is how the industry became like so crazy and the people were like involved and, you know, how many Bitcoins they, they mined and everything. And I think that was kind of also really like very interesting. And of course, you know, the book, of course, also looks, you know, very heavily the last kind of like three, four years, right? It's, uh, it's, a, it's a crucial part, um, you know, a lot more, let's say Stanford and MIT people have entered the space, you know, some good, some bad, of course. And uh, a lot of stuff has, has, has evolved. And history sounds like a little bit like so boring, right? But I mean, because we have all lived it, you know, it's maybe more interesting, right? It's, I mean, if you pick up a second world where history book, it might be like a little bit boring. But here, you know, you have been around and a lot of stuff you don't know. And it's, I mean, you can read it over a weekend, but I think you're going to learn so much. And, you know, I have like people like sending me like, oh, look, I took all, all these notes from your book. And you know, it's kind of interesting. But, but again, it's just, you know, I'm not kind of like just talking around a lot. It's really just a lot of facts and you read it and, and I think it's interesting. But Okay, so so for our readers, where, where, where can they find the book? I've heard it's sold out at several bookstores in the city. <laughs> well, I think it's in, you know, in the in the major local bookstores. I think you you have it. I think the, you know, the publisher is filling it up or the distributor is filling it up. But Amazon reviews have been like very good so far. So I'm pleased and uh, yeah, it's going well so far. So yeah, okay, so this is story two that we are rolling with, right? So it's about the US debt ceiling and of course how the real, how it relates to the crypto market, right? So simply put, on the 28th of May, the US lawmakers have uh, released a bill, like a draft of a bill allowing the government to increase the debt ceiling, okay? And it, which is, if you don't yet know, an imposed limit on the amount of debt the Treasury Department can incur. In other words, the amount of money they can owe, lah, right? So this is based upon negotiation between Joe Biden and House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, if you don't know them it's fine you just need to know that they're from different parties so they're not friends lah, technically right so under the proposed bill there will be a two-year suspension on debt ceiling which means more money can be borrowed allowing the u.s government to continue to essentially settle its debt and just kick this down right and last night the house has voted on the debt ceiling bill days before the u.s projected to run out of money on this uh, to pay its bills right and it has passed by a vote of 241 287 uh, there are 52 democrats that went over to support this bill alongside with the Republicans and interestingly there are 29 Republicans that vote against the measure of course alongside the the, Repub the the Democrats so and Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer which is a Democrat said that the Senate will do everything we can to hold on to the bill quickly yeah so what is your take in other words long story short uh, the it has been sorted right like money is going to continue to flow for additional two more years or something like that 
Yeah, but I think the way to look about it is, you know, the U.S. economy is also growing, right? So if if you set up some limit uh, 10 years ago and suddenly the economy has like doubled during this time, maybe you can also increase the debt limit because you can actually service uh, that limit. It's the same, you know, is your spending caps the same as like 10 years ago hopefully not right hopefully you have like a bigger budget to spend on things and i think that's the way to look at it so i don't think it's really like a big thing that's really influencing the, the markets mm. so you're talking about like you want top line growth to outrun debt growth essentially right like you want to see that upside you know yeah, within, the, within I, the bigger economy yeah i think the u.s economy is growing right the numbers are very strong you know people really have tried to talk down the economy this year you know because last year the u.s stocks went down but we haven't really seen a back-to-back negative years since like 20 years and before that it was like 50 years ago so it's really uncommon and i think the other more important factor is that end of last year inflation in the u.s was like eight, nine percent. And, you know, our view based on data, not on sentiments or feeling like a lot of people like argue, you know, all the hell long about, well, you know, based on data, then inflation would drop really to like three percent this year. And this is going to set off, uh, you know, a huge rally in risk assets, you know, be, meaning uh, tech stocks, meaning crypto, uh, because there's going to be less pressure of the U.S. hiking interest rates. And we're having uh, the, the FOMC, the Fed meeting in two weeks time. They are expected now to pause. Um, and of course, they're trying to say, well, we're pausing now and we're monitoring, but we're going to start hiking again. I think they're just, you know, pushing a little bit like a hawkish narrative that they keep on hiking. But I think they're done. I think inflation is actually now falling below the interest rate level. And this is something that we, we rarely see, right? So interest rates in the US are five and a quarter right now. Versus the year-on-year change in inflation is now below 5%. So you can argue that the Fed has caught up with the inflation number, but now they are behind it. And if they're behind it, they need to think a little bit, well, the economy can also have like lower interest rates. And this is when they can actually cut at one point. And I think the market is kind of positioning itself for it in front rank. And this is why we suddenly have these stories emerging about, you know, chat GBT and AI. We didn't have this last year, right? Because last year it was all negative, but this year it's positive, right? And just look at the NVIDIA and... Palantir and <laughs> but anyway, sorry, cut you off. Yeah, no, I think that's kind of these stories are emerging yeah. in the bull market and not in the bear market. And I think, you know, reading the signs, of course, there's like some, you know, little fatigue in the crypto market, uh, you know, the last week or two or three. But Bitcoin is up, you know, more than 60% year to date. So you cannot really complain too much. You know, it's really going, you know, the right direction. How do you see the crypto verse, the crypto industry reacting to the tightening of conditions? Uh, I mean, what, 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 what does the debt deal mean for Bitcoin and other digital assets? Yeah, I don't think it's a, it's a big impact. Mm-hmm. I, I, don't I think love the it. Mo- I love that. <laughs> because everybody like to associate like some news with some co- some sort of like a causation or even a correlation right and sometimes they're they're just they're just not in the same they're, they're just they're just not important well well again i mean it's it's a little bit you know my style and uh, you know this is like the style i kind of had from you know from my previous you know hedge fund roles yeah. where you're just trying to make make sense when prices move you know what was kind of the the trigger was it really this event or was it something else that happened actually a week later or something and it was maybe priced in and i kind of took the same approach really just writing this book is the same approach right and and also here when actually have uh, you know bitcoin prices rallied let's say since since december and what i discovered is uh, every time when the us inflation data is being released which is usually between the 10th to the 12th of every month you suddenly had like a big rally in the price of bitcoin you know the biggest one was of course in december it had like 
like a 7% move and then you had like something like a 4% move the following months and so on. But the last two months, it wasn't really that impactful anymore. Yes, inflation data came in lower, but you can argue maybe it's like priced in. Maybe kind of people know this. It's really some people on TV talking, oh, inflation is going to be sticky and it's going to be really bad. And then, oh yeah, it came in lower. But so, I mean, this is like really like the trend. And then I try to like point out then, you know, around like May, kind of, I think May 13, 14 or something like after the data, data came out that, well, it was a little bit disappointing. So maybe the market needs a little bit more for like a, a push higher. So inflation or slash macro is not going to be the big drive anymore because this was our like big story. And this is why we were very vocal in December and said like, we're going to have a big rally because of this inflation comes lower. But there's nothing really on the horizon that's really driving the Bitcoin price right now, you know, like ordinals or meme coins or something. It's just, it's not like strong enough to really lift the market higher but it has like some impact on some specific coins and everything. So it needs a little bit more. And, and you know, there's this divergence happening right now, of course, between tech stock and Bitcoin. And they used to be very correlated because there's just more going on in terms of like stories with AI or ChatGBT or NVIDIA or something. So crypto needs a little bit up its game a, a here. Bit of that, yeah. Yeah, which is why you see a lot, a lot of, I mean, if you've been very familiar kind of article that has come to my attention over the past, like, past three, three or four weeks would be like, you know, does crypto need AI more than AI needs crypto? And then like, you know, they're trying to fit all these AI <laughs> narratives into crypto, right? And I, I think it's just uh, trying to kind of like, you know, the industry trying to latch on to like the dominant narrative at that point in time. I mean, I just also read your recent LinkedIn post about, I think you asked AI, oh. uh, ChatGBT oh. about the, it's quite, it's quite, it's quite interesting. Yeah, 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 yeah. What was it again? I think you, you asked ChatGBT about the, for motivation, right? Is that the... Yeah, and you know, I started to look, you know, after because this book was like such a big project, right? So yeah, I started yeah, to look yeah. into more like, you know, ChatGBT and what you can do with it. And I didn't want to do it while I was doing the book. And actually, you know, the, the conclusion for these large language models, as far as I understand it. So what it does, it just takes one word after another, and then it sort of comes out with a probability. How would a human kind of finish or choose and the next word? Mm. And then it just runs these simulations like over and over and over again. And I think it's just pretty tough to do for crypto because for crypto it doesn't really like exist right it's not really you know let's come up with some new language or new something i mean just because it doesn't really exist right and so i just kind of like just try to look around for like some themes and uh, you know what are kind of like you know, ask ChatGPT, give me like 10 motivational quotes for, for crypto yeah. traders, right? It's actually really interesting because it, it just it could be applied to any other industry so, as well. Yeah. <laughs> and, and yeah, but it's interesting you say this yeah. because because I kind of, you know, was reading these things. I was like, oh, you, you probably have read this on news outlet ABC, right? This guy's like, you know, like diversify your holdings, you know, stay, stay the course. <laughs> and it's kind of interesting. It was like all these things. And I was like, wow, who came up with these things, right? And it's, uh, yeah, it's just like interesting. So yeah. I think think for crypto it's a little bit they're seeing there's like this bullet train passing you know next to next to each and uh, next to crypto it's like oh we need to kind of jump on this train and see how we can be part of it but you know ask also some other questions which is what are kind of the projects to invest in or what is this and it wasn't the answer wasn't really that great so mm -hmm. i think uh, it just can summarize some data, but it is, it's not really like strong to come up with some yeah. really good cutting edge research or something like that. I think that you made a really interesting point about how when we look at, say, the, the debt ceiling, right? Or rather, if you look at what happened in 2011, the debt ceiling crisis, right? I mean, I've always viewed these as just, it's just political, right? And then the idea that crypto at least needs a dominant narrative to kind of yeah. take it higher, right? And that's also why you see a lot of these commentators out there trying to kind of put one on one together, like AI, AI and crypto. They are commentators. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> they are commentators. 
don't listen to them. It's not just an observer-led thing, right? I mean, it's an industry-driven I mean, narrative. Yeah. Right? yeah, I mean, yeah. like if you if you were trying to raise money for your startup right now, you just put like some sort of AI in that. Exactly. Yeah. That and then you know maybe your valuation no, goes I up. Mean, and, and and to to be to put it bluntly, it's not just it's not just in crypto, right? I mean, that's yeah. like the whole ESG thing, which to me is also a very like narrative type yeah. of thing, right? It, there's no there's no fundamental categorizing of all the things that are putting in into ESG. Each of them are so complex, so different, right? Like, like how can you how can you put them together just on the idea of like what social good, right? Is it, is very there is no nothing tying them together from an objective measurement of how well they'll perform in a prolonged period of time, right? So it's very weird that they're put together as a theme. Mm-hmm. At least that's my that's my spiel. Yeah. yeah, actually on on that note, because I think it was like in December or in January, I wrote a report and like saying like, oh, this is going to be a new bull market. And, you know, trying, of course, to just look at this inflation and, you know, expecting like a really strong, you know, I don't know, 100% or something returns this year. And, you know, we did kind of like this 66% or something so far. So we had like a, this strong move. And, you know, normally I think on Tradify, you would say if if stocks go up like 20 or the index goes up 20%, it's a bull market. If it goes down 20%, it's a bear market. And, you know, these last few days I started to think, well, it's, yes, we had a really strong rally, but it's not really like a crypto bull market per se that we're having because, when you look back, you know, again, in history, we had four, you know, really well-defined uh, crypto bull markets. And one was payment, you know, in the new payment method in 2011, then 2013, kind of new form of money. And with China in 2017, we had, of course, the ICO. And then 2021, we had, of course, the, the, the yield farming, you know, craze and everything. So we don't have anything right now, right? I mean, the ordinals definitely doesn't, <laughs> just doesn't qualify for yeah, it. Yeah, 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 we, we have the frog, though. The frog what, just, no, there you know, was the uh, Pepe and also what? Turbo, no, not Turbo. turbo, turbo. turbo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 It is the new right? Yeah, yeah but you're, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I completely agree. Yeah. So, so I, it's I, just I, not, agree, yeah. it's not, so I would, yeah. I would argue we actually, we need to keep on looking, right? And again, you know, I think the, but also if you look back at some of these historical events, like, you know, the market has completely changed over the last three years on this whole, you know, crypto bull market of 2021 it just like went out of no you know it went from nowhere and it moved so quickly within literally like a quarter or two right so you need to really have you know your hand at the pulse and really like kind of feel it and i think that's really like important but we don't have anything right now so that's why we need to keep on looking and that's why i think actually maybe we cannot really call this right now a bull market even we are up you know 50 percent in this year although i would argue maybe the 2021 one it feels as if that one is really in large part driven by you know the macro environment you know, like you have that unprecedented. Yeah, it wasn't just know, crypto. Yeah, yeah quantitative uh, uh, easing. So, like, uh, as compared to the previous few cycles, but I feel like there was a bit more of like a. I don't want. I mean, I don't want to say fundamental, but it feels as if it it, it, feel, it felt a bit more substantial in the way that the narratives were, were being built up. Yeah, yeah, because you had like treasury departments, yeah. right? You know, Tesla bought. You had MicroStrategy, of course, yeah. bought. You know, you got you got big uh, hedge fund managers like Paul Jones suddenly saying, you know, Bitcoin is like, the fastest horse in an inflation rally. And it legitimized for a lot of, you know, TradFi people to to buy it and everything. So, yeah, of course, all the bull markets are different, but there will be a new one, I'm very sure, because there's like so many people still involved and so much VC money, you know, 60 billion of VC money has gone into crypto the last two years. Right? Wow. So, I mean, VC need to make back that money. At yeah? least for my, my <laughs> this, this, this is like, I guess, uh, you know, uh, it's, it's not an original uh, perspective. Like, we're just essentially repeating what people have been repeating about Bitcoin since like time immemorial. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hear it. 
right? Is that um, Let's I mean, hear it. No, no, no. <laughs> the, the world essentially wants an alternative to you know like just a, your traditional banking systems, you know, and like payment systems, right? And then right now, Bitcoin kind of represents that. This is what I think is where people who view the optimism in the space, right? It's what they're trying to build, what they're trying to work towards. So as long as that kind of holds true and like you know. There isn't a something else that comes in to kind of take that place, you know. And you and it, there's equal part like a tech, a technology thing, but also like a branding, marketing, and narrative aspect to it, you know, that comes together, right? So that's maybe like the next bull cycle can can help bring us closer to that point. That would be. I think that's a fundamental problem. It's not so much a narrative problem. You really got to solve adoption. You got to solve yeah. cost of. You know, it's a very technical. No, I'm, I'm not just saying it's a, it's a optics thing. or PR thing. What I want yeah, to yeah. say is that that the idea that you know why people hold Bitcoin right now, right? That, mm. Make money. That's it. I don't think people are apocalyptic, you know. <laughs> but we're not due uh, another bull market yet, right? I mean, yeah. you, you say it's every three years. Well, uh, again, I think uh, it's difficult to... I don't think we're in a bull market right now. I think this has been just like an, you know, like a macro liquidity, lower inflation story. And there needs to be something else. There needs to be something more, right? Mm. Because I'm also... I'm also just not happy about this whole that everybody's like so hyped up about this whole staking episode, right? Because staking, what does it mean? You just put your asset to something and get like a, you know, some like fixed income return. I mean, that is not really sexy, right? That's not really, you know, where people need to be like smart and move the money around. I mean, at least with the yield farming craze, there was like all these projects that were like, you know, trying to attract capital funding and tokens and everything. And you need to, you know, be ahead of the curve. You need to kind of judge, okay, who's going to follow and who, you know, where can I move from here? Take the yield two, three days later, go somewhere else and just move the money quickly around. Here it's like, well, you put it in Ethereum and you just sort of like wait every year, you're getting like 4%. And I mean, it's just like, you know, that, that is not really why people are in crypto, yeah, right? Yeah, so yeah. why are you here? 4%? Yeah, 4%. Many places can get you 4%. Yeah. So, well, you know, as you know, like NVIDIA, right, it was up like 25% overnight when they released earnings, right? So I think it's a little bit difficult. I think there needs to be something more. And it's really like an outcry for the industry to... Improve, develop something improve give me something exactly me something. Right. Solana, Solana phone <laughs> is that going to be the title Solana phone <laughs> Solana phone <laughs> yeah okay we don't go there but let's, yes. not, let's not go there okay uh, but right. yes great so we yeah, went great. on a whole spiel around how the US debt ceiling is not important right it's not going to affect crypto cycles so it is what it is yeah so okay. uh, let's bring us to the third story right bro. Uh, for our third story we're going to be looking at uh, the upcoming crypto regulations uh, in Hong Kong so on the 1st of June uh, Hong Kong is going to welcome with open arms yes, today. Uh, which is today, That's right? Today. <laughs> Shit, That's it today. is today. That's oh my today. God, yeah. yeah. Right. So they're going to welcome. I'm not flying there, dude. Boss, why are you not flying us? Huh? We should all be flying there now. Sure. <laughs> so, you, 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 can, you can still go. We have time. We can get there by like, you know, like, you know, yeah. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. straight away go and buy yeah. some like, yeah, like you see our producer very high on the side it's like yeah uncle yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. so yeah the move here is that you know like they're going to welcome retail um, and institutional crypto investors into Hong Kong it's interesting because you know Hong Kong was, was a crypto hub until China's 2021 ban so I mean, you could argue there's some mixed signals, but like, you know, I, I, I mean, ultimately it could very well be a, be a geopolitical thing as well. You see the US being harsher on crypto companies and then like the East kind of opening up, right? Uh, so other points to make here would be you have China-founded crypto exchange, uh, Huopi, is one of the exchanges that has taken up the offer. So it's officially applied for a Hong Kong Securities Regulatory Commission. Uh, anyway, I, thought, I thought it's called Huopi. Anyway. Huopi. <laughs> Huopi, yes, yes. Huopi, sorry. You are yeah. a Chinese person. That's right. right. <laughs> sorry, please continue. My, um, 
pronunciation is me. Yeah, yeah. It's fine. Yeah. It's, it's Huopi. Okay, guys. It's Huopi. <laughs> right? And yeah, so Gate.io and, and have also BitMax uh, have announced their applications. And while OKX and ZA Bank have signaled their intentions to apply for a VASP license. Uh, yeah, so bring the floor to the team. You know, Marcus, you've based yourself in Hong Kong for a while, right? Just wondering whether you have any thoughts on... Yeah, I think um, crypto adoption in Hong Kong has been, of course, extremely rapid. And it really set the level playing field from the regulator, from the HKMA, the Hong Kong Monetary Authority, back in 2014, you know, where we had, of course, a lot of, you know, crypto exchanges being set up there. Also, uh, Bitcoin ATMs were set up. And I think we're seeing something a little bit similar. But I think this time, the HKMA is working very closely with the SFC. So the securities and the futures uh, regulator there. So, and I think it's a it's a good step in the right direction. I guess look, looking at the history, right, with China's just stance on on crypto, and then now now we're seeing this in Hong Kong, right? Like, uh, I mean, the, the obvious thing to me is just to really look at what what's happening in the world, and uh, especially in the US, and then come to a conclusion there as to why that's happening. But I was wondering whether you have a view on yeah, so, that. So one thing that's very important, of course, for the industry to move forward and really bring in a lot more capital is really to provide the level playing field for institutional investors. And of course, that's why, you know, these big financial hubs, let's say like New York or London or Hong Kong, are like extremely important. And I think with Hong Kong appearing to really take the lead in this right now, providing the level playing field, you know, what making it easier. What is a level easier. playing field? Well, that, you know, because right now, for example, what what is the security, right? Those things are not really like solved in the US, uh, you know, apparently. How much crypto can you actually hold as a fund? Can you be licensed? A lot of investors, they need to engage with a licensed entity. And uh, for example, if you set up a regulated licensed fund under the SFC in Hong Kong, you might not be able to trade with unlicensed exchanges like Binance. So you have to trade, let's say, with OSL. And we know OSL has working very closely with interactive brokers, you know, opening that door. And the more exchanges and the more firms that can be licensed, the more asset managers might be licensed and the more this ecosystem sets up the level playing field for those institutions. And I think, for example, London is working on something similar. So the largest clearer where all the trades being cleared, uh, the separate entity is called LCH for TradFi. They're also working on clearing for crypto firms. So you no, no longer need to you know, have it all on one exchange and everything. And I think this is the level playing field that those people are working in the background. And of course, you don't see this in the prices every day. But stuff is being done. And I think Hong Kong has been proactively on this and having really like an open door policy for those institutions, you know, to come in and listening to them. There have uh, been a lot of uh, consultation being done. And again, I think taking the example, you know, from and the timing from Justin Sun, I mean, he has voiced very often that Hong Kong is going to be sort of like the, the stage for China to eventually open it more, you know, to the open it to the mainland. And I think based on his track record and how often he has been, you know, really his timing has proven like so right, you know, we need to be. I think listen to it a little bit more careful what he says. Timing, huh? it's all about timing. It's all about Justin Sun. <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah, also just, just you know just so curious, annoying. you know about what 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 would be some of the I guess the, the implications, right? Like uh, uh, I guess you would probably see more liquidity coming in from the mainland to Hong Kong now that this has happened. That's one. And then um, will we actually think, actually that was something that would, because, yeah, because I, mean, that, always... I think that was something that we were talking about like two weeks ago or was it last, last week? week? Yeah, 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 yeah. We're talking about like I like, yeah, like you guys like, were talking you know, about like, like you know, how we see like a, a pump in Chinese tokens points. You know, I think that's that's the two. Yeah, yeah. so I yeah. think there were there were two questions that were running around. One, are we gonna see like mainland liquidity move in, or are we gonna see liquidity move into mainland through Hong Kong? Yeah, any thoughts on that? Well, you know, right now 
there's of course you know the the usage of VPNs in China of course uh, with, with crypto not right now it's been around for a long yeah not time. right now not, not yes, last yes. but it's of course I mean just what's currently going on right and of course a lot of uh, the trades happen also on OTC platforms and this is also something that has started mm. and but very similarly as in 2014 a lot of the liquidity from China came to Hong Kong. And, and again, a lot of people are not aware of, but there was a moment in time in 2013 where 90% of all the Bitcoin trading was happening in China. So there is a lot of money, a lot of liquidity, a lot of volume there. And then actually 2014, the most important crypto market became suddenly Hong Kong. So I wouldn't really rule out, uh, you know, for some people, maybe Hong Kong might be like a small city and everything now, but I wouldn't rule out that Hong Kong might be could become like really big too. So I think we should definitely have it on our radar and really follow very closely what's happening there because I think the world is really looking for a place that is really like a leading financial city and and pro can provide the level playing field Actually, again. from a from a retail investor point of view, like why is Hong Kong like why should I care about Hong Kong then? Based on what you've just lined up, right? Like provide a level playing field, blah blah blah. That's like for insti guys, right? But for like the men on the street listening in, you know, the crypto enthusiasts, they they make money, they they're retail investors. Why should I care about Hong Kong? Well, in a very simple, I mean Hong Kong has like 8 million people, right? They're not going to move the needle, even they have been, you know, in the past, you know, being quite, let's say, aggressive in trading volatile products, you know, warrants or form of option and structured products have been, of course, you know, very popular there and yield products and everything. But I think for anybody in the world, basically, if you can deal and trade through a regulated financial institutions, it's probably worth more than trading through an unregulated. And I think that is just because it gives you like a, you know, like another level of comfort, you know, the regulator, you know, there needs to be some capital requirements. You know, I think one of the best examples is actually, and again, a lot of people just don't know this and I didn't have much you know, knowledge about this before, but actually Japan has put together a really nice level playing field where exchanges need to have a lot of capital set aside. You know, the assets need to be, to like say 95% in cold storage and everything. And that's why the customers of FTX in Japan are actually all fine. So that's actually very interesting because the level playing field has been set there because the regulator has set clear guidelines for, for exchanges. And because FTX wanted to deal with you know, locally with, 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 with clients and with retail investors, uh, the regulator set, set the bar really high. And this is why there's been like no assets lost there really on, on this platform. And I think if Hong Kong provides like a level playing field like this, and one of these larger exchanges kind of agrees to these terms and really wants to do business, then the money can flow from like other countries to these places as well. That's a good point. Great That's point. a good point. Yeah, I yeah. mean like between Singapore, you know, Hong Kong, Japan, it feels like a, a, a round robin. You know, uh, really? at you one think, point, you think Singapore is going to be something here? No, I don't think so. Uh. <laughs> no, not anymore. Uh. What, but, what about your hot yeah, take? This is my... Your hot take on no, Singapore? No, at least not at the moment. Uh. As, you know, maybe, as, maybe we can. As Hong Kong, you know, you know <laughs> continues to grow in this space, what's your hot take about the ecosystem in Singapore? Well, I think Singapore is very well positioned towards, you know, attracting VC, venture capital money, dealing with, you know, the ecosystem that's growing in Indonesia, in the Philippines, and in Vietnam, you know, providing really being the capital provider for those regions. And I think those regions are actually very important also to building 
various parts of the ecosystem. So the exchange system actually might really develop in Hong Kong and the asset management business maybe might also develop in Hong Kong like faster. But I think Singapore seems to have, you know, really a strong foothold in providing uh, VC, crypto VC capital for the likes of Vietnam that are building a lot of the projects, yeah. uh, again, for maybe consumers in the Philippines and really ties in those markets uh, quite yeah. well. Because all, all the investors want to know that you have a vehicle in Singapore. That, that, that's that, kind that, of how it that, works. That, 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 that's the market, true. right? Yeah, like for sure. like, like yeah. you want to invest in Indonesia? Okay, you pitch to me. Okay, so where's your investment vehicle? In Singapore? Okay, I put my money. Right. Mm. So that's the thing about the region yeah, in general. So that means there's no not much crypto innovation. Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> it's just a VC play. Just right. a sugar daddy. Yeah, yeah just sugar daddy. Sugar right? sugar daddy. <laughs> <laughs> Which is not a bad business. Yeah. Just saying, right? Yeah, so it is what it is. Cool, yeah. And so that's it for another episode okay. of Blogcast. We'll see you all next week. And so if you want to read all the leading articles, head over to blockhead.co. Okay. Thanks. Okay. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> now I never say invoice, so don't worry. Okay, so see you okay. guys. Thanks. Bye. See you. Bye. Hey, Coconuts. So yes, uh, I hope you enjoyed this new show that we're building together with the team at Blockhead. And uh, the goal is very clear, right? We're not here to shield any token or be a cheerleader for any project. But we feel that there's a lot of development that's going on in this space that we could cover and continue to be a little bit smarter um, as investors. I mean, eventually, you tune in every week to a financial podcast network so that you can be smarter with your investments. And if it so happens, this is something that you're looking at, the crypto space, Web3, Metaverse, all these kind of stuff, then that is where we're trying to cover. But not from the angle of like, this is good, that is bad, but really trying to see it from like, what is happening? How is it developing? And I hope you find this useful and interesting, right? So if you want to continue to get more coverage around the crypto space, check out blockhead.co and then we will see you next week.